Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. Tim Staples here in studio with us, as promised. The number 888-3187-884. Tim, senior apologist here at Catholic Answers. And the author of Behold Your Mother, a biblical and historical defense of the Marian doctrines, as well as um, many, many other things, including one other book. And what was that? Nuts and bolts. Oh, <laughs> I was testing you. Oh, you were testing me. Okay, I was waiting a for you. Practical <laughs> how-to guide to evangelism, and it, it has fourteen chapters and fourteen different scenarios. You know, you got an yeah. atheist in one chapter, you got an evangelical at the grocery store, Jehovah's Witness at the door. You know, and, and uh. those sorts of things, and how you respond in those. Situations. Let's give that away to a caller today. Let's we do never that. give that away. So Amen. at some point today, we'll give away uh, nuts and bolts, a practical held how-to <laughs> guide to evangelism. The number here is 888-318-7884. Let me check out the phone lines. One line's open, so you can get in. Open forum means open to anybody. Uh, if you've got a question about the Catholic faith, uh, Catholic history, uh, maybe a doctrinal question, a Bible question, and if it's a question about Jesus, we love to get those. 888-318-7884. Are you traveling, Tim? Yeah, coming up here February 7th, I'll be on the road again, and don't ask me where I'm going. I'll have to get that information. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got some really good trips coming up. In fact, in March, I'm going to be in my old stomping grounds, a men's conference in uh, the, the Diocese of Arlington, in Virginia, that's where I came into the church, and I don't get to, you guys back in Arlington need to invite me more. Come on, it's my home stomping grounds. But yeah, I'm excited about that's that. We've got a lot of really good trips coming up. I was just watching a talk that you gave on the Eucharist, and it was in Virginia. Because oh, you yeah, started off yeah. by saying y'all, and you said I can say that I'm in Virginia. <laughs> it was um, it was, was it? like a premium that they gave out to the Society 315 people. Ah, gotcha. So. Um, that's been a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. So what are you going to talk about in Virginia this time? Do you know, or is it? Uh, yeah. Let's see. You'll know I when think, Jen tells Yes. Me. I believe I'm going to be uh, speaking on God is looking for a few good men. It's going to be to a men's conference. Oh, wonderful. Very yeah. good. Uh, CatholicAnswerSpeakers.com is where you go if you want any of these guys to come and talk where you are. You can certainly get Tim to come there. Uh, CatholicAnswerSpeakers.com. Again, the number 888-3187-884-888-31 truth. And uh, you ready to go to the phones? Let's do yeah. it. All right. Let's go to Rocky in Michigan, uh, watching on YouTube. Rocky, thanks for the call. Go ahead with your question for Tim Staples. Gentlemen, can you hear me? I'm using a very old phone. Are you really? Like, what, like does it, do you dial it? Does it have a dial, or is it a push-button one? Uh, well, it's, it is a smartphone, but I got this back in 2017. Oh, that's not very old. A very old phone. I'm talking about a 1925 version here. (laughs) Yeah, right. On the wall. Where you pick the the receiver up. (laughs) Okay. Get get me Hickory 955. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Go ahead, Rocky. Uh, uh, Just two quick questions, rosary questions. Okay. uh, do you always need to have intentions when you pray the rosary? You just can't. Can you just pray the rosary and let you know God use it as He sees fit? Yes. Um, and B, um, do you always have to announce not only your intentions but everything else? Can you pray the rosary quietly? Because uh, the example I can give is that I am at work and saying things, saying the rosary out loud would cause 
problems, everybody yelling at everybody about religion at work and everything else. Yes. I don't, yes. I'm not trying to be quiet because I'm ashamed of God. Oh, not, sure. You know, nothing could be further than truth. But I, I do honestly see that if I were to be doing this out loud, me losing my job. Yeah, and that is a good reason to remain silent. Yeah, but Rocky, First of all, you do not have to pray out loud at all. The Blessed Mother, the saints, can hear you, right? Now, when we say hear, remember, the, uh, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 20 uh, that those who have died are like the angels in heaven. They, they no longer marry, nor are they given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. And what does that mean? Well, the saints in heaven have the beatific vision, which means, and, and by the way, the vision doesn't mean with eyeballs. You, you don't see God in the beatific vision with your eyeballs. It's sight kind of like, you know, when, when you're struggling with a, I like to use this analogy, Cy and Rocky, that if you're struggling with a physics problem and you just can't get it, and then all of a sudden you go, ah, I see right? Now, it doesn't mean you see with your eyes. It means you comprehend with your mind. That's what beatific vision, beatific knowledge is all about. And so for the saints in heaven, they see God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's in that vision that they see all things clearly. They can see the entire created order. They can, in that same context, hear Again, not with the ears, so you don't have to be praying out loud for the Blessed Mother to hear you, because she hears with her comprehension the same way she sees with her comprehension, the same way angels see and hear, even though they don't have bodies, right? They don't have eyes at all. They don't have bodies at all. They don't have ears at all, but they see and hear us. So number one, you don't have to pray out loud at all when you're praying. And, and a wonderful verse of Scripture that I, I like to use in this context is Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, where we see that the saints in heaven, they're you know, symbolized by the 24 elders. Many believe that's symbolizing the 12 apostles, the 12 patriarchs, right? So it's Old Testament, New Testament, the entire people of God in heaven, and they're receiving prayers coming up from the earth, and they respond to them. So they're obviously uh, uh, intellectually comprehending those prayers as they, as they come up from the earth. Now, as far as the intentions go, you always have an intention when you're praying, whether you state it or not, Rocky. And it's a wonderful thing to have intentions, because prayer does have a purpose to glorify God, of course, but also, you know, you pray for things and people and, and so forth. So you always have an intention. In fact, when you say that, can I just pray without intentions just to glorify God, that's an intention, right? So it's already there, Rocky, you know, in, in a sense, I, whether you like it or not, right. <laughs> you already have intentions. You're praying for the glory of God. You're praying that God will, as you said, apply the merits of these prayers however he wills. That's an intention as well. But of course, the church does encourage specific intentions, and of course, that's very biblical. You know, as you know, Rocky, James chapter 4, you know, St. James famously says, you have not because you ask not. 
And he also says, because you ask amiss so that you'll consume it on your lusts. That's why Cy Kellett prays for a million dollars all the time, to consume it on his lusts. And that's why you're not getting it, Cy. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I have 11 so far. I have $11. So <laughs> 11, I'm, I'm getting closer. You're on your way. Right. Right. And so it is important to have intentions and also to be specific. Because again, you have not because you ask not, right? So, you know, God wants us to be specific, to ask, make those petitions and such. And of course, God's going to answer them in accordance with his will, but something to think about. Sometimes we don't get what we want because we did not ask. But Rocky, you're, you're right on. You have wonderful intentions in, in praying the rosary and for the glory of God and, and so forth. But I always say to folks, look, think about the people in your life. Think about people that are suffering. Think about, you know, my gosh, the mass shootings and stuff that we see. Sometimes it's a really good thing to pray for those poor souls who are suffering right now or people who are suffering from natural disasters in other countries. Just mentioning that, not, again, it doesn't have to be out loud, but in your heart, these are powerful prayers that can have an impact all over the world. Does that make sense, Rocky? Yeah, but if I may, the reason why I'm asking is um, I have been told, you know, like when people just say the word God, um, not respectfully or disrespectfully, just say God, you know, day after day. I've heard it likened to just constantly bothering God, you know, you know, hello, 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 and, and you know, and that the same thing, can happen when you pray without intention because right. you know it's just constant like tapping god on the shoulder tapping god on hello 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 and you know right well you know you what know, god turns out what it's interesting you know jesus has that parable of the unjust judge and remember the widow woman who comes that's in luke's gospel i want to say chapter 18 i could be is that 11 or 18 i think it's 18 but it's beautiful you know jesus answers that very question and basically says don't worry about it. Ask. Bug him. You know, yeah. bombard heaven. You're not bugging him at all, not in the slightest. In fact, the the widow who goes after the unjust judge who doesn't want to hear her says, get out of here, and she day and night, finally, he gives her what she wants, not because he's good, but because he's sick of her bugging him all the time and gives it. And, and Jesus then says... If this unjust judge, who is unjust, he's wicked, gives good things, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you who pray day and night? So don't ever think, Rocky, and those who say that we're bugging God if we pray uh, too often, that is an absolute myth that Jesus himself dispelled and said, "Uh uh-uh. God loves us so much. He wants us to pour our hearts out. Pour your heart out to him. Ask him for what is on your mind and on your heart, and you can ask it as much as you want. And what happens, Rocky, is that we grow. And even if that petition is something that God's not going to grant us, you know what happens is we change over time because we're praying. And that's what God wants us to do is to pray, to give everything to him, ask him for everything, because you know what happens, Rocky? He becomes everything for us. And that is where he wants us to be. And in the end, you know what happens is you say, Lord, if you give me this or not, 
thank you, I have you. And that's ultimately, I think, where God brings all of us to that place where you realize it's not so much the petition anymore. It's, wow, I have God the Father who is listening to my petitions. He loves me. He sent his only begotten Son, and that becomes transformative. So pray always, says St. Paul. We should pray ceaselessly and not ever worry that we're bugging God. Rocky, thank you. Uh, we got to go to our break, so I will leave that there. There are two lines open, 888-318-7884. And there's just one week left in our big New Year's sale over at shop.catholic.com. You can save big time. When you go to shop.catholic.com right now, take advantage of the 23-23-23 New Year's special. You spend $23 or more in the online shop. And you, the enter, you enter the promo code New Year at checkout, and you save 23% on your whole order. Try it right now. It's that easy. And there's only one week left. Enter the promo code New Year at shop.catholic.com and save 23% on everything. Your questions, Catholic Answers, live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations on the web at realestateforlife.org. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. <laughs> Mother Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Tim Staples, our guest this hour. Lots of folks on the line. Just one line open if you'd like to get in and uh, ask your question, 888-318-7884. Down in, is is there really a place called Ave Maria, Florida? Are you familiar with Yes, there is. I've been there. Oh, is that the... the It's Marytown. Marytown, yeah, Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, Gabriel in Ave Maria, Florida, listening on catholic.com, our website. We're glad you're here. Uh, Gabriel, go ahead with your question. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so my question has to do with, um, you know, hell, you know, and I I remember ever since a kid, I, you know, just found the doctrine of hell really scary, and especially, you know, the opinion of a lot of, like, saints or Catholic thinkers that the great majority of people go to hell. And I guess my question is, like, how do you reconcile hell with the idea that Christianity is, is good news? You know, and does yes. that mean that Christianity is only good news for some people, but like horrible, scary news for many or most people? Right, right. It, this is, you know, Sai and I were talking during the break of how important this question is. But I, I think what we have to do is understand the nature of the good news, right? The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. That is the good news. But that good news includes the fact that God created us human beings, you know, the ones that Jesus died for. He created us free. 
And God gives us everything we need to be reconciled to him and to be happy with him forever. But there's one thing he refused to do because it would be contrary to the nature he created us with, and that is he refuses to coerce us. And you know, I I know people at at, at times, especially those outside of the church, atheists and whatnot, it's almost like they want God to create them as a robot and make them go to heaven, right? But that's not how God made us. And I got to tell you, honestly, I'm glad he made us free. I don't want to be a robot that doesn't have a choice. God created us free. See, you could say that's part of the good news. The good news is that we're free, and so therefore we can reject the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do, and by the way, I love the way Gaudium et Spes, the uh, pastoral constitution on the church from uh, Vatican Council II, the church in the modern world, it's a wonderful document. In section 22, the first five paragraphs of that section is just gorgeous. But it, it says that God, in a way known to him alone, gives every human being, and that is, who has ever been born, ever will be born, he gives to every human being the real possibility of participation in the Paschal mystery. I love that. In other words, the possibility of salvation. So nobody will go to hell because they weren't given the opportunity to cooperate with God's grace and be saved. That's, you know, we're not Calvinists, right? Calvin and Luther taught man doesn't have free will. The Catholic Church teaches in agreement with sacred scripture, for example, in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God wills all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, God does not will any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so when you understand it in that context, then you understand that God has created us with this incredible dignity as rational creatures. We have a spiritual nature that dogs, cats, birds, bats don't have. And that means when we die, we're going into eternity. Where we go is up to us, but we, you know, our, our, our souls are such that they cannot die. And so when we die, we're going into eternity. It is our choice whether we're going to accept the good news or we're going to reject the good news. I don't know about you, brother. I want to say yes. I'm going to say yes every day. I'm going to say yes right now (laughs) to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think when you present it in that way, it becomes understandable. Oh, it's because we have this immortal soul. If we reject the gospel, well, that's hell. In a certain sense, you know, we say that we don't really, I mean, Christ doesn't really send us to hell, although granted, as the judge, yes, he will say, depart from me into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels in Matthew 25, verse 46, right? And that's true. But the judge's role is not to make you evil. No, it's to declare what already is. And so it's in that sense that the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us in section 1033 that hell is by 
definition. You and I choosing self-exclusion from communion with God. That is definitive, I I should have added that word, definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the saints. That's the definition of hell. Again, in section 1033 in the Catechism. So in that sense, you know, we send ourselves to hell, right? We choose to say no to God and the end is hell. Does that make sense? I mean, if you present it that way, it at least, I think, can soften the blow and help people to understand that it's it's not God. You know, God didn't create hell. In fact, Jesus talks about how hell was, was created for the devil and his angels. You might say it was created by the devil and his angels because hell did not exist until the devil and his angels said no to God and created it, in a sense. And then human beings by, you know, rejecting God's will, analogous to what the devil and his angels did, the one-third of the angels that fell definitively, according to Revelation 12, well, human beings who, over the course of their life, definitively decide against God enlarge hell, right? Because it's by that choice that hell is created in them. Hell, of course, being more a state than a place. It's not really a place that you go to and then a door closes. But if you could get out that door, oh, I would be free. No, it's really principally a state of being in the soul of the individual. Does that help at all, brother? Yeah, yeah, that's, I think, definitely a good way of looking at it. All right, brother. God bless you. Thanks for your call. It's a real important one. Boy, is it. Uh, we got a little bit of time before we have to take another break, so we'll go to Vancouver, Washington. Uh, listening on the Catholic Answers app, Randall in Vancouver. Thanks for downloading the app onto your phone, uh, Randall. Go ahead with your question for Tim. Hi, thank you for answering my call. Sure. Um, so I just had, I guess, sort of a long-winded question about uh, Mary. I'm a believer, but I'm not Catholic. Um, and so... I know, like, listening to a lot of different Catholic podcasts and talking to Catholics, that um, all the Catholics I've met would say that you don't worship Mary, but... Correct. Uh, I've, got, I've visited quite a few parishes now, and just out of curiosity, and um, I, it just, like, I went to one in, in here where I live, and... Uh, when I walked in, they had statues all over, and they had a lot of statues of Mary. Mm-hmm. And they had, at the very front where the priest stands to do Mass, mm-hmm. they had three statues, and above a statue of Jesus, and I believe the other one was Joseph, Mary was above both of them wearing a crown. Mm-hmm. And then... Do you remember the uh, name I, of the parish? I, that struck me... Yeah, what, what was this parish? And uh, by the way, was there a big crucifix up on the wall, too? So it's mm-hmm. a bit, I can't remember the name of it. It's oh, okay. Big, yeah, yeah, it's pretty big, an old brick building in downtown Vancouver, Washington. But um, I just found that kind of odd. And yeah. then it's been a few different parishes I've gone to where I'll see, like, it looks yeah. like there'll be Mary's statues just look to be like they're more uh, glorified than the statues of Jesus. Right. And, um, Okay, well, let me I, jump I in, find Randall. It in okay. my heart, a bit yeah. concerning. 
Sure, sure. Randall, let me jump in because uh, I really appreciate what you're saying because, man, you're, you're singing my tune. When I was in the Assemblies of God and when I went to Catholic parishes for the first time, in fact, I was evangelizing a young woman. I was leading her out of the Catholic Church. And by the way, unfortunately, I succeeded. I led her out of the Catholic Church. But good news, I found her years later after I became Catholic. She's now Catholic again. Oh. Just thought I would mention that. But Randall, I tell you, a lot of times, I the churches I went into, and I saw these statues, and to me it was blasphemy. Oh my gosh, look at that big statue of Mary, and there's one of St. Joseph. But you know what's amazing, Randall, is after becoming Catholic, I can go into those same churches, and it's amazing how I missed a massive crucifix up on the wall over top of the altar that is bigger than all the statues combined. But I, now I'm not saying you're doing this, Randall, but I'm saying I did. I was so fixed on, oh, but there's Mary. That's, oh, that's blasphemy. And that's a, it's, it tended to actually distort my vision of things. Okay. That's the f- first point I would make because, you know, now being Catholic for the last 30 plus years, I've been all over the world. I've seen thousands of Catholic churches. Uh, on you know five different continents, uh, and I couldn't tell you how many countries I've been in. And I'll tell you what, after the break, because I know we have to take a break now, I want to share something with you that might be enlightening for you. But hang in there through the break if you can. It's open forum, one line open, triple eight thirty one truth. Tim Staples, our guest, right back with more. The recent decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade was a monumental victory for the pro-life movement. But the fight is far from over. With our new booklet, Why We're Pro-Life, we have produced the perfect tool to prepare you to have peaceful and convincing conversations to shed light on the truth about human life from conception to natural death. Catholic Answers is printing millions of copies of this booklet, and we plan simply to give them away. You can help us in two ways. First, by generously supporting this project. 25 cents prints one book, $2,500 prints 10,000, and so on. Second, by helping us distribute the booklet through your parish, your school, or the pro-life ministry you work with. Catholic Answers is going to blanket the country with why we're pro-life, but only if you step up and help us. Thank you so much. For more information, visit whyweareprolife.com. Want to know more about the origins of the Catholic Church? Joe Heschmeyer explores the beginnings of Christianity. In the early church was the Catholic Church. Joe digs deep into the words and actions of those who lived right after the apostles to refute anti-Catholic claims of how the faith was lived back then. Order your copy of The Early Church Was the Catholic Church today at shop.catholic.com or get it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. As Catholic apologetics have gotten stronger, Protestant responses have gotten stronger as well. And now they have their own answers to rebut the standard Catholic proofs. Don't fret, we've got you covered. In his new book, Meeting the Protestant Response, apologist Carlo Broussard gives well-reasoned biblical answers to Protestant comebacks. Order your copy of Meeting the Protestant Response today at shop.catholic.com or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. 
Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host, Tim Staples, our guest this hour, and we're on the line with Randall in Vancouver, Washington, uh, asking about yeah. a, a, a very fair question about the, the very, uh, um, at least they struck uh, Randall as quite imposing statues of Mary uh, in, in Catholic parishes. And uh, I, I really feel like Randall's being very polite to us and not, uh, uh, you know, looking for a fight, but asking about this, this seems troubling in a Christian church. Why would uh, Christ kind of be overshadowed in this way? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, we were talking during the break, Randall, about something else to consider that all Catholic churches are dedicated to the glory of God, but uh, in the name of particular saints often. It can also be particular titles of Jesus and, and, and so forth, but it can also be in the name of a saint. So as we were saying during the break, if you have a church that's dedicated to God in the name of, say, St. Patrick, you're going to have a big statue of St. Patrick in there. But the one thing that, you know, what, what really helped me when I saw the truth of the Catholic faith is understanding that the Catholic Church, every Catholic Church in the world, is ordered toward the altar and then upward toward the glory of God, and you normally have a crucifix in the front and center, up high, beyond, behind the altar where the, where the priest is, is celebrating Mass. And the liturgy itself, Randall, when you go to Mass, the entire Mass is directed to God the Father in the name of Jesus in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, especially in the Latin rite in the Catholic Church. It is beautiful because you basically begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from that time forward, I mean, unless you have like a, a Feast of the Holy Trinity or something like that, the, the whole liturgy basically is directed to God the Father in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, until at the end, we go out in the name of the Father. And so the closing sort of dismissal, we're blessed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you're basically entering into the mystery of God for that hour, getting tanked up, receiving the Eucharist, where you are incorporated in a more dynamic way into God, given sanctifying grace, the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and then transform the world. And any mention of the saints, including the Blessed Mother, is peripheral. It's important because, uh, Randall, as you may know, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, the inspired author says, seeing that we are encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, the hall of faith he had just talked about in, in Hebrews chapter 11, from Abel all the way to the martyrs of 2 Maccabees there in verse 35. Hebrews 11 recounts all the great saints of old, and then he says, we are surrounded by this great cloud of saints, of witnesses, and we run the race with them and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, uh, of our faith. And so, yes, we honor the saints. That's entirely biblical. You know, we honor them for the great men and women that they are, but we understand that they are our brothers and sisters, they're members of, of our body, and they are cheering us on, they're praying for us, and of course we receive grace through their prayers, just as, you know, we receive, we receive grace, Randall, from you and I praying for each other 
what we believe as members of the body of Christ, that doesn't stop when we die. We're not somehow cut off from the body of Christ. In fact, the saints in heaven are closer to us now than they were when they walked the earth. So when you understand this from a Catholic perspective, right, we, we look at these statues of Mary and Joseph and St. Patrick and the saints, and we see our mother, we see our brothers, we see members of our body that we need. We need each other. Just as my finger needs my hand, I need the members of the body of Christ to get me to heaven. And of course, it's Jesus who orchestrates it all. It's his power. It's his grace that works in them and through them. But anyway, just a little bit of a context to where you can understand why we have those statues and such. Does that help at all, Randall? Uh. A little bit. It's opening a lot more questions. I have I have tons of questions. But sure, <laughs> I'll have to call back. Yeah, time, well, I'm sure. Welcome to the broadcast. I don't know if you've called before, but any time, my brother. That's what we are here for. We are Catholic Answers. God bless you, Randall. Thank you, Randall. Uh, thanks very very much. Every single line full. So on we go. Uh, Caesar in Houston, Texas, listening on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Caesar, welcome. Go ahead with your question for Tim. Yes, uh, hello, Tim. I, yes. I have a question for you. I was in a conversation with a non-Catholic who tried to attack people infallibility by the way of saying that Athanasius was anathized or excommunicated. Now, I already right. know how papal infallibility works, and sure. I know that this is not the way to go about it. But my question is, was he anathemized at, at one point? Is there any historical documents that I can go see? Uh, because he affirmed it, yeah. so just... You know, I understand he was exiled when he returns to Alexandria by, I think, Bishop George or something, yeah. uh, I believe was his name. He was exiled and, by the emperor, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, here's here's the key. Uh, as you know, and I think I think you've, you've pretty much got it right already, uh, Caesar, and by the way, I would recommend to anybody to read Athanasius in his writings against the Arians. They're kind of long, but he answers all of these questions himself. And he is the biggest defender of the Bishop of Rome of anyone up to and including, you know, Liberius. Now, remember when I believe it was Julius who was pope before Liberius who defended Athanasius over and over again. And remember, this is when, you know, we had an emperor who became Arian. 70, 80 percent of the bishops would, would later, well, by, by the time of this controversy, which would really reach its height about 350 to 355, right in there, 70 percent of the bishops of the world were, were Arian heretics. The emperor was an Arian heretic. You had several patriarchs that were Arian heretics, and it was only the bishops of Rome who preserved orthodoxy. But the real issue came into play when Liberius was taken into exile because he refused to sign an Arian creed. He was exiled, and he was tortured for two years. And it was during that time the argument is made that at some point Pope Liberius excommunicated um, Athanasius. There's really not good evidence. Even if there was an, athena- uh, an, an excommunication, it would not be valid. Because, and, and by the way, you know who I get this argument from? St. Athanasius. <laughs> it's Athanasius who argues that 
you know, even if Pope Liberius signed, and, and he didn't, he didn't sign a heretical creed, he signed an ambiguous creed under torture. Athanasius said it's not valid anyway, but it wasn't heretical. In fact, you know it wasn't because after he signed it, the emperor got angry because it's not clear enough, created another creed for him to sign, and Liberius refused it, even under torture. And in the same way, Liberius defended Athanasius over and over again, even before he went into exile. Liberius defended Athanasius. He defended him against the synod as well as the emperor and his thugs. So it's context, my friend. When you read the context and you hear what Athanasius has to say about Liberius, you get an entirely different story. But uh, again, Caesar, so I don't buy that there was an excommunication at all, certainly not a valid one if there was one at all. But here, but the point most importantly is this, that whether the Pope excommunicates somebody or not has nothing to do with papal infallibility. It's not an infallible act. The Church can make mistakes when it comes to uh, excommunicating individual people. That is, Popes, I should say. can I shouldn't say the Church because it's the individual. Whenever there's an error, it's an individual Pope who can make a mistake in a non-infallible act like a juridical act such as excommunication. I mean, this is why at the Second Constantinople in 553, you had Pope Vigilius flip-flopping on whether to excommunicate the famous three chapters, you know, Ibis of Edessa and uh, Theodosius and Theodore of Mopsuestia, you know, the three chapters, as they're called. The Pope excommunicates, then says no, and then excommunicates. This, it, it's because there's a, there was confusing information coming in. These guys were dead. We're talking about their writings and whether it was uh, prudent to excommunicate them and so forth. There were a lot of factors there at, at Second Constantinople. Well, the same thing was going on here with a pope who was imprisoned and tortured for two years. My goodness. So our Protestant friends I know and some of my Orthodox friends try to make hay about this uh, Pope Liberius, but when you get the context of him being in exile and tortured, you really have a nothing burger here, okay? And you also have this this sort of hyperbolic view of the papacy from the outside looking in as if, oh, popes should—I remember Dr. Walter Martin, who I respected greatly years ago, so a pope would never give in if it was a true pope. Really? Well, what church are you talking about? Because we don't say that the Bishop of Rome, you know, when he becomes, yeah, he becomes somehow, you know, Jesus, you know, or becomes the superhero, as Sai says, to where, no, popes sin, they go to confession, they make errors in judgment about things, especially when it comes to juridical matters. The gift we have, my friend, is in matters of faith and morals. Please hear me, everyone listening. When the Pope declares something definitively, you can take that to the bank. That is infallible. It comes from Jesus. He cannot be wrong. That is infallibility. Doesn't mean impeccability. Doesn't mean the Pope doesn't sin. But what it does mean is whatever he binds on earth, matters of faith and morals taught to the universal church in a definitive way, we have the promise of heaven to back up his 
definitive declaration. What a blessing we have. And that's why, my friend, we have all the dogmas that we have in the Catholic faith and every single dogma, every single infallible teaching we have as Catholics has a pope at its source. Even the ecumenical councils are not infallible unless the pope ratifies them. So every infallible teaching we have ever had has, as a reason for it, a pope. And you look at the list of infallible teachings we have, it's a long one. There is no way to explain the fact that we've had this one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 5, teaching the same essential doctrines for 2,000 years. You can't explain it, my friend, other than with the keys of the kingdom that Jesus gave to Peter. Caesar, thanks very much. That brings us to our break. We'll take the break. We'll be right back with more Open Forum with Tim Staples on Catholic Answers Live. Hang on. Catholic Answers Live will return in a moment. St. John Paul II stated that, for the disciple of Christ, evangelization is a duty, an obligation of love. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church states that evangelization is necessary for salvation. So we know we're called, but how do we do it? St. Paul Street Evangelization can help. To learn more, contact us at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Coming down the home stretch now, so we'll try to get to everybody who is on the line. Tim Staples here, our guest. It is Open Forum, and we're going to Cincinnati. Paul in Cincinnati, listening on 9:10 a.m. You are up next, Paul. Go ahead with your question for Tim. Uh, good evening, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I was intrigued at the uh, opening of the, this hour. You were promoting an evangelical book, and if I heard correctly, you you mentioned some of the chapters, like it, how to evangelize to an agnostic or atheist, and you might have said oh, uh, one Tim, of the cults. And, I Tim, wasn't here. Tim, no, no, he's talking about your nuts and bolts. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. No, I'm sorry. It's kind I, of an evangelical book because it was written by a fiery ex-evangelical <laughs> Christian who's now Catholic. <laughs> yes, it's called Nuts and Bolts. And by the way, you're going to get a free copy. Oh, here it comes. Oh, <laughs> Tim, nice. Good right. memory, because I, I would have forgotten. We said we were going to give, give away one a away. free copy. And so, All right, it's coming your way, Paul. Paul, this is going to be yours. Yes, absolutely. And, and what was the question, Paul? Or did you just want the free book? That's okay if you did. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, no. That helps, but no. Uh, no, Mike, if I heard correctly, the, the, some of the, the chapters were mentioned about how to evangelize to a uh, an atheist or an agnostic and, and maybe the, one of the cults, and then they said, how do we evangelize to an evangelical Christian? Sure. My question is, how, why would you need to um, evangelize an evangelical Christian, of which I am one? Yeah. Gotcha. And do Catholics, um, do Catholics see Protestants as co-heirs with Christ or, and brothers in Christ, or mm-hmm. they see them as a, you know, a misguided cult? 
Yes. No, we don't see them as a misguided cult. We see them as brothers in Christ. In fact, the Orthodox Protestants in general have valid baptisms, so you are our brothers in Christ. However, I always like to use this as an analogy. If you go to Acts, and I'm sure you know your, your Bible, brother, in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, you have a Jew named Apollos, right? A native of Alexandria who comes down to Ephesus, and the Scripture says he was an eloquent man, well-versed in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, right? But he only knew the baptism of John, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and expounded to him the way of God more accurately, right? And Apollos came into the church, was baptized properly, right, in the name of Jesus, and that would be in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, with Jesus' baptism, because he knew Jesus, he believed in Jesus, but he didn't have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is analogous to where our Protestant friends are, and so many of them, like me. I was raised a Southern Baptist. I became an Assembly of God youth minister many years ago, and through no fault of my own. I mean, I thought the Catholic Church was the biggest cult in the world. They were leading people away from Jesus to worshiping Mary and a cookie and everything else. I mean, I thought Catholicism was insane. And I used to lead people out of the Catholic Church and lead them to Jesus, or so I thought. But the point is, I, praise be to God, when I was in the United States Marine Corps many years ago, I met a young Catholic Marine, Sergeant Matt Dula, USMC, who saw me like Apollos. I was fervent in the spirit. I was preaching Jesus, but he led me to the way more accurately. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about bringing our Protestant friends into the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we alone possess as Catholics. What do you think, Paul? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I... I appreciate that perspective. Okay. I was you raised Catholic and uh, became a prodigal when I was a teenager and fled the Lord for 20 years before he miraculously answered my prayers when Praise I was God. at the end of my rope. And so I've been on both sides of the coin, and I, I, I see myself now as an arbiter between all the brothers of the, and, and try to focus on what we have in common for the greater good of the Church. Amen. I, you know what? You I, too, so. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, we have a wonderful ecumenical movement in the church that involves people outside of the church that is outside of full communion with the church that does exactly that i've been involved myself in fact i spoke in an ecumenical gathering not long ago at the vatican with uh people including james robison the great uh, e uh evangelist and and preacher who who was there it was absolutely awesome incredible i couldn't believe i was speaking there with all these Protestant leaders from all around the world and so forth. I mean, it was wonderful. But, you know, in the end, my friend, we want to bring everyone to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would invite you, especially being a Catholic who has, who has left the Catholic faith, to uh, keep listening to Catholic Answers. Check out 
what it is that you left. Oh, because, I do. Yeah, check yeah. it out because there is a well, lot I, more I to this. Yeah, I love I love the station. It, it, I'm enriched by it. Um, Praise God. And uh, I started a ministry. I'm a, I have a storytelling ministry in which I share the great news. Uh, I share stories about the great things God has done in the lives of everyday, ordinary Christians, of both Catholics and Protestants. Praise so God. Doing my share to try to bridge that, that gap and through storytelling. And, and uh, I've some Catholics on my board, so it's working real well. Beautiful. Well, uh, if you hang on and give us an address, we'll send you the book, and maybe we'll talk again, Paul. Uh, thank you very, very much. I thank just, you. I'm going to keep moving because yes. I'm looking at these phone lines and the clock, and I want to try to get as many on as I can. Uh, Thomas, will you send him the book? Uh, Kathleen in Lucky, Ohio, listening on Annunciation Radio. I guess I'm going to be buying a, um, uh, a lottery ticket after this show, now that I've spoken to someone from Lucky, Ohio. Hi, Kathleen. What? Hello, Tim. Um, yes. I live on Devil's Hole Road in Lucky, Ohio. <laughs> well, that's kind of a mixed <laughs> message you got going there, Kathleen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Um, our Bible study had a little um, discussion about heaven, and most people had the idea that once you get to heaven, you have full knowledge of the truth. Correct. Somehow, somewhere, I got the idea that we grow even in heaven in wisdom and knowledge. Right. Um, Right. Am I off base on that? Oh, Kathleen, it, this is a really great question, and there's actually legitimate disagreement among Catholics on this. The general understanding is, yes, when you get to heaven, you have the you are absolutely complete. As St. Teresa of Avila said it, you know, we're, we're all different sizes of receptors. One is a big old bucket, another is a little thimble, right? And that represents the gift that God gives us in this life, as well as our cooperation with that gift. Some are given more gifts than others, but they cooperate with them and they create an even bigger receptor, right? Some people are given little tiny uh, gifts, and they cooperate so much, they become massive and even bigger than some who had bigger gifts to start with, right? So, but the point is, we're given particular graces, each individually, and then our cooperation with that grace kind of expands our ability to receive more of God's love and grace. But the general understanding is when you die, you can't expand anymore because there's no more merit. There's no more principle of merit in the next life. So you can't expand anymore. You're absolutely filled to the brim. You can't but but you know, some people say, wouldn't that be boring? Oh my goodness, no. It's the opposite of boring. You know, I was talking to a young person a while ago about this, and I said, Imagine you, you've struggled your whole life to be an Olympic athlete, and you're standing on the podium and the, the flag is going up and they're singing the national anthem and Man, you're tired. I mean, I mean, your 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 tears are flowing. Would you say you're bored at that point? Seems unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> that would be unlikely. The last thing you'd be thinking about is boredom. Well, heaven is infinitely beyond. I shouldn't say infinitely, but immeasurably beyond the glory of that moment standing on the podium. But it just happens to last forever. Yeah. You're so complete and so filled that boredom is an impossibility for you because you're absolutely complete. Now, I should say there are some saints as well as scholars who argue that even in that context, we can always go deeper. I disagree with that, but that is something that is a legitimate position. You can you can probably hear by my 
discussion where I fall fall, uh, on this. But Kathleen, yeah, among theologians, uh, there there are those who will disagree and have a happy discussion about that. Does that uh, help you, Kathleen? Well, yes, it does. Um, there's no basis anywhere for this. I mean, who knows what goes on in heaven, right? Yeah, that, there's that's well, one of argument people, probably. That, yeah, that's right. Right now, they know. <laughs> yes, those that are there. But you're right. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine says, "Eye is not hear, heard, ear is not heard, nor has it. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him." So there is a, there's a massive mystery involved here. There are some theological principles that we could argue about, but the bottom line is heaven is where you want to be, and it's beyond anything we can imagine. Uh, Kathleen, thanks very much. Uh, I was trying to think if we have a book on heaven, and uh, we, we, have, uh, we have a book on death and judgment, which doesn't seem to be quite the same thing, yes. but it's got some of that stuff in there. Maybe we could send her the 20 answers, death and judgment. Can you think of anything we could send her? Yeah, well, I, or did, did I, you... have, I have a... A digital download on it, but you know we can't send people that, can we? <laughs> well, uh, we I, we might. I tell you what, if we can, Thomas, send her the. Did you, would you want any of this stuff, Kathleen? Maybe you're like, nah, I don't want any of that. Sure, I would be interested. Okay, so mm-hmm. we'll get uh, Tim's talk on his talk. Yeah, on it's heaven? four talks on death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Uh, the four last things. Is the um, well? Let's make her pay for three of them, but we'll send her heaven for free. <laughs> that's not, no, not really, Kathleen. Hang on, yes. we'll send it to you. But we'll send you uh, our twenty answers book on death and judgment as well. And uh, maybe, t- maybe, maybe they can figure out some way to get you the um, the audio stuff as well. Yes, uh, I think we're we're not going to be able to take more calls, Tim. No are, way. Yeah, we're at the end. Can we uh, ex- can we extend this another hour? Uh, we guys call EWTN and see if they'll let us. Um, if, I think we'd be bumping Raymond Arroyo today. I'm not sure. Let's see if they'll let us bump yes. Raymond. Off. I get the feeling he might have more pull there than we do. So <laughs> probably not. I would think. Uh, I think it's Raymond that follows us on Tuesdays. I'm Did, not sure. Yeah? No, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if it's Mother Angelica, I can tell you right now, <laughs> they ain't pulling her for us. That ain't going to happen. Yes. Uh, that does it. Uh, Tim Staples, thank you very, very much. Great to be with you, brother. Um, don't forget. Uh, we got this new Catholic Answers 25th anniversary mug. You can buy it at shop.catholic.com, or you can go over there and spin the wheel, and if you win, you get one for free. So at shop.catholic.com, that's only for uh, a few more minutes. Also, uh, I just want to remind you again about Joe Heschmeyer's podcast. Joe Heschmeyer was on with us the first hour, and his shameless potpourri podcast is up and running now, and you can get... Uh, You can learn all about it by going to shamelessjoe.com, shamelessjoe.com. That about does it for us. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here on Catholic Answers Live. Amen. Amen.